Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, your Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. Uh, we are here this week to talk about Future Boy. Yeah, yeah. How are you doing this week, Sam? Uh, I'm good. I'm very good. Um, same as you were uh, doing last week when we recorded eight and a half months. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Which indeed. we're recording on the same day. <laughs> we are. Uh, yeah, I still got Hattie Mae here. Uh, she's sleeping peacefully. You may hear a couple of baby noises. I'm not even going to apologize because I just think they're cute. So, uh, <laughs> that, that is the world of, of podcasting, right there. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, no, I'm. I'm. Uh, yeah, it, it, life is life is good right now. Uh, we had a really good time this weekend with Jess's sisters and um, uh, her sister Lindsay's boyfriend Alex um, is, is here as well. So yeah, just uh, good times with family and uh, being able to give them an opportunity to hang out with Hattie and. Um, we had a, a, a day out yesterday, which we haven't had uh, many of those, but uh, we loaded up the stroller and went over to Lincoln Square, had some uh, some good food, some gelato for dessert. It was uh, such good times. We were over there. We were probably over there later when you were there. We were like there towards like late afternoon, early evening. Uh, yeah. We, we got dinner at Garcia's and... We, we thought about getting gelato afterwards, but we were just so stuffed after yeah. Garcia's. And I remember when we first moved to the area years ago, like walking around Lincoln Square. Because, um, I mean, Lincoln Square, it's a lot of young families. A yeah. lot a lot of parents pushing babies around in strollers. Uh, and there's like, you know, one day, if even, because even then, Betsy and I weren't sure if we were going to have kids or not. And like, yeah. yeah, walking around there yesterday and seeing all the other parents with babies in strollers. Like, yep, here we are. Oh yeah, we yeah, are for sure. We are we are in the future that I that I saw a few years ago. When we when we went into Jerry's, it was it was really funny because as we were waiting to be seated, and Jess and I got there before her sisters did. Uh, we turned to our left, and there were like three strollers lined up next to the door. <laughs> yep. So yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it was fun, and it's you know, I mean, she Hattie is great. She slept almost the entire. Time we were out, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. is you know it's it's nice to be able to like go out with a three week old and not feel like you're ruining everyone else's life. <laughs> no, I remember that when we went out with with Harrison when he was that age or a little bit older, like we would just uh, you know put him basically like the the baby seat turned upside down. You just put the stroller over that. We would just sure. like we would just put a, a blanket up over over the top and drape, yep. and we would just check on him every every now and again. But he he would just pass out. He would sleep. Um, that changes, uh, sure. But we are uh, we are very lucky in that uh, he does he does very well in, in restaurants when we when we go out to eat. So yeah. we 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 we've, we've never found ourselves like hesitant to like go out and meet up with friends at a restaurant or something with him out of fear of like we're going to be those disruptive parents that everybody's going to stare at. Sure. Uh, you know, he gets fussy every now and then, but overall, it's a it, you know, it, it's a pretty good experience. Um, 
and also screw people who get upset with uh, with fussy kids. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You just uh, just th- all I want to tell those people is like, just think you were there once. Like, yeah, you were you were this kid. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I felt that way even before even before we had kids. So <coughs> so yeah. But anyway, should we, should we dive into this week's episode? Let's do it. Yeah, Future Boy, uh, which was written by Tommy Thompson, directed by Michael Switzer. The episode aired March 13th, 1991. Our leap date is October the 6th, 1957. And Sam has leapt into Kenny Sharp, and we're in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, Missouri. I had forgotten that detail. Anytime an episode takes place that has anything to do with television or movies or whatever, I always... In my head, I assume it either takes place in New York or L.A. Yeah. Uh, it was like rewatching this. Yeah, they throw out that yeah, the they're in St. Louis. But anyway. It def- that definitely something I want to actually talk just a little bit about, too, within the context of the episode. But we'll, we'll get sure. there. Sure. Uh, TV Guide description. Sam, Scott Bakula, goes back to the future <laughs> when he appears in the 50s as Future Boy, the G-Wiz kid sidekick of TV's Captain Galaxy, who off-camera is a troubled eccentric with time travel dreams of his own. Uh, I will say, I think the Back to the Future reference is entirely appropriate. Yes. Because I think this episode gives a huge hat tip to the Back to the Future movies. Without a doubt. Yeah, that's one of the things, too, that um, this episode in general has a lot of really nice nods to, obviously, to Back to the Future. Um, there's there's more than one reference. Um, and the, you know, the... Um, sort of encapsulation and, and illumination of the golden age of television uh, is, is absolutely present. Uh, and I think in a way, there's a, not even in a way, I mean, it's, it's obvious, there is this wonderful sort of nod to the show's own um, life and destiny, if you will. There's sort of a self-referential uh, um, aspect of this episode, that it is very much an episode that kind of not in any sort of crazy, like fourth wall breaking metafictional way, but it, it, there's like a self acknowledgement um, uh, of Quantum Leap within the context of Future Boy, um, and I just yeah, I, it, it's it's a really lovely episode for many reasons, but those you know that texture, those different layers uh, with those nods um, are are a lot of fun, and obviously for the two of us being big. Back to the Future fans, um, there's there's definitely a, you know there's definitely a Doc Brown sort of quality uh, to Mo. Um, there's you know the relationship between Mo and Kenny that gets explored here certainly has a couple of nods to uh, Marty and, and, and Doc Brown. Mm-hmm. I mean, Future Boy literally is 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 one of them. Um, uh, Mo's house is another kind of great example. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is oh yeah Mo's house. I caught that and I totally forget that. Yes, in the Back to the Future movies, yeah he. Doc calls Marty Future Boy. Yeah, early early on in the first movie. Wow. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I think just right out of the gate, there's there's a lot of uh, great stuff here. Um, but speaking of right out of the gate, um, Sam has has leapt into uh, a interesting situation. It is. Uh, so obviously, um, you know, he he he's on you know he's on a TV show. Uh, there are more. There are several episodes where Sam leaps into a situation where he's on a TV show, and in a real world <laughs> situation, like it would be very obvious. But you know, uh, at, at the point of a leap in, like he is totally yeah. clueless. And I love the the, the close up shots of all of the controls. 
yeah. in, in the time machine and the fact that they're on a TV show and like they, they didn't need to be that specific. I love how specific that they were. Yeah. It's, you know, the thing is, too, especially with uh, with the Blu-ray, uh, a lot of this episode really pops. And I think part of that has to do with the fact, I think part of that has to do with the fact that um, especially these opening scenes are so well lit for the specific purposes of conveying this scene with either the show within the show. And so on the Blu-ray, I felt like these really popped well. And, and those control panels, like you mentioned, look really good on Blu-ray. It's funny because I ended up um, inadvertently watching like the beginning of this episode initially on Hulu, and then I went back and, and just watched the whole thing on Blu-ray. And the difference was quite remarkable, actually. Um, I was very surprised, but uh, it's clear that the, that the Hulu is, uh, 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 episodes are not using the same source as the Blu-ray. Sure. Um, yeah, I think this episode, for the most part, looks really good on Blu-ray, too. So yeah. that's something so, I always like to throw in there. <laughs> so, so, so here's my fan wink that I just that just popped into my mind of why yeah. why the controls in the time machine are so specific when it's just on a TV show and you know the cameras were ever focused on it. That's Mo. Totally. Mo yes, is, it is. Mo is so dedicated to, to realism and everything. Like, he probably just came in and he made those labels. Yeah. He made those labels himself. Yeah, or, you know, or, or he's, yeah, I could totally agree. Um, it, 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 it's funny because obviously with, with our backgrounds, um, having those opportunities when you, you know, when you work with uh, a props designer or a set designer um, that, that's really interested in, in verisimilitude, uh, you know, as an actor, I would always try to create a dialogue whenever appropriate um, or, or had the opportunity to, you know, to create a dialogue with them. Um because it, it always enhanced, I felt like, whatever it was that I was going to be able to do w- with what I was being given. And with costume designers, it's different. You know, you kind of have that dialogue anyway. I mean, sometimes, sure, it's a, you, you go in, it's like, this is what you're wearing, and that's that, and you never really talk to them. But when you do get the opportunity to talk to them, whether it's in a, um, a fitting or, or whatever, I think that there's, you know, there's great opportunities to have a dialogue about, you know, how you feel they look and what they wear and what the costume designers see, and that sort of collaboration is always fun. Uh, so I could definitely see, especially in the context of this guy having his own TV show, being the star of the show, that, yeah, not only could w- would he maybe show up late at night and do this himself, but that he would talk to somebody and be like, hey, you know what I really need here? You know, can you can you, can you you make, like, a button here that says, you know, this or that or whatever, just for me? It's the same thing as, like, doing I, – I, I, um, I was doing some Shakespeare, and uh, obviously in Shakespeare there's, there's lots of letters. I don't remember which show it was. It might have been Twelfth Night. Um, and uh, I, I, one of the actors um, didn't want to have the, what the letter said written on the letter. Um, and, and I, and I just went to the props designer and told them the exact opposite. And I was like, look, if he doesn't want, you know, the, the letter to be the letter, that's fine. But if you don't mind, I would love it if all of my letters could say, what it is that I'm saying, you know, um, I want the letter to be the real letter and not because I didn't want to like learn the lines or whatever, but because it just does, it adds so much. And I, and I can remember in the back of my head, just filing it away and being like, all right, I don't know. I, I can't agree with this guy just wanting a blank piece of paper on there, but whatever. That's yeah. I mean, I can see why you would want it. I can't see why you wouldn't want it, but I don't know. Actors, actors are weird as we know. Yeah, I mean, he was playing Malvolio. It was so it was definitely twelfth night. He was playing Malvolio, and he'd said something about having the actual letter on there messed him up. 
And I just thought, that is so... I remember my, my initial reaction as well, then what you're doing isn't acting. Because, yeah. like, that is, that is just, no. That is but just anyway. bizarre. Yeah I, yeah, I will say, yeah, a couple tangents there is, uh, one, uh, and I haven't, I haven't acted in a show coming up on a year, which I, I don't miss it. I'll, I'm sure I'll go back to it at some point. Yeah. Um, but whenever I am playing a character where it's conceivable, like, you know, it, it takes place in modern times and I should be, I should have a wallet in my back pocket, I have to have a wallet. In my totally. back pocket, and typically it, it, it's my own wallet, but yeah. I have to, yeah, but I have to have one. Uh, and I know there's a way to talk about props, and I may have mentioned this in a, in a previous episode in one of the, the the theatrical ones, like Catch a Falling Star or whatever. Sure. Um, but in college, I was in um, a production, a little shop of horrors, <laughs> and so uh, so there's a scene in the musical. I'm sure it exists in the movie version as well, where Mushnik, which is the character I played, the, the shop owner. Mushnik confronts Seymour over the murder of the dentist. He's figured it out. Yeah. And he presents Seymour with a picture of Seymour's baseball cap in the dentist office, <laughs> which he left behind when, uh, when he commits the murder. So when we were doing the run of the show, uh, every night during the run, I would just show Seymour a different picture of just something wacky. Just, just trying to get him to break in that moment because that's what actors do. Like yes. even, even professional actors. Like I've heard a story of John Malkovich pulling his penis out during a Steppenwolf show, like with his back to the audience to throw off John Mahoney. Oh, actors do that. Anyway, so I would just hold up a different picture trying to throw him off. Like uh, people who went to high school with him like brought like pictures of ex-girlfriends. I think I showed him a picture of a naked girl one night. Could wow. not could not get him to break. And then one night I was like, all right, you know what? I got a Polaroid camera. I showed up that night before the show. I took his baseball cap off the prop table put it in the dentist's office set, snapped yeah. a Polaroid picture of it, and I showed him the actual picture of what I was actually supposed to be showing him. Yeah. And that's what made him break. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We're a weird breed. We are a very weird breed. <laughs> that we are. So speaking of weird breed, let's uh, let's meet Mo. Yeah, absolutely. Um Man, so getting into the episode, you know, they're, they're, they're in the time capsule. Um, there's the oh boy moment. They're getting out. Uh, Sam stumbles, which is used to cover for an injury that he suffered during the filming of Runaway. Um, and uh, uh, the immediately is confronted with having to say lines. Uh, Mo is, is covering for Mo is clearly a professional, you know, Mo is, mm-hmm. is on top of this. Like he never breaks. He never, he's handling everything, you know, pretty, pretty perfectly. Uh, even Sam's bad acting. <laughs> mm, yeah. Which admittedly gets better actually. Like he stumbles with reading the cue card that first time around, but then he mm-hmm. really kind of like, he takes to it, you know, he has yeah. fun with it. But yeah. But then on like later in the scene, when, when Mo starts improvising, Sam actually goes yeah. along with them. He really does. Yeah, it's great. He because he, he drops that line about the man on the moon, putting a man on the moon, um, which is which is great. Um, there's there, there are a lot of references to the space race in this episode as well, which obviously would have been very much in people's mind because, as we know, the episode takes place uh, just a few days after the Russians um, put Sputnik um, up, and so it's uh, yeah. I, I mean, it, it's. Um, 
this episode is just packed with a lot of that stuff. Uh, you know, references to not only what's happening in 1957, but also to what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's a great opportunity for that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. And, and uh, you know, we talked about this before we, we started recording. Like, I didn't take a lot of notes, like, on the, on the plot of this episode because it is a very character-driven episode. Totally. Uh, so it'll kind of, like, you know, throw all the events together and not try to do it spoiler-free as we try to do sometimes. It is interesting, though, because, like, you know, at, the end of the, at the end of the episode, we do find out that Sam watched the show yeah. when he was a kid. Uh, and I'm kind of glad that they that they saved that twist for the end. Yes, like me they too. didn't that, like they didn't drop it like uh, played against Seymour, where he has all these feelings of deja vu throughout the episode because it turns out he had written the the the, the true crime he not written he had read He'd the read true it. crime mm-hmm. novel yep. that <clears throat> excuse me that the story was based on. So I'm glad that they saved that twist. Me for the too. End. Um, and, and you know, the, I think that. It's wonderful because Sam gets to be very active within the context of this episode, um, and, and and I think that that would have it would have been distracting not only to the audience, but I feel like it would have ended up being distracting to Sam. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it could have potentially, I will admit, added another layer to the relationship he develops with Mo. But I think more what it would have ended up doing is taking away from. Uh, his ability to kind of act the way that he was. Like he develops an affinity for Mo as Mo, not as a kid who watched Captain Galaxy. And I think that that's important. Yes. Yeah, because then you could have gotten this weird like hero worship thing and disappointment yep. thing. And yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that they did that. Um, yeah. Yeah, so they do this the, this first sequence here. I got to say, the, the aliens that they feature <laughs> in the scene, consider like for 1957... Uh, maybe public access, or I'm not right. sure if it's public access, but just like you know, local uh, St. Louis television. Their mm-hmm. makeup was pretty good. Very reminiscent, more of like a 1967 Star Trek episode than Ex- a 1957. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so one of the things that okay, I as we have discussed before uh, in in other ways, I am just a huge fan. Um, of television and, and the golden age of television in particular, um, very drawn to it. And, and being a big fan of the Twilight Zone in particular, uh, Rod Serling, you know, a lot of his writings and interviews uh, and, and biographies of him, you know, focus a lot on that because he was writing for television, you know, long before Twilight Zone. The fascinating thing about TV back in those days, and also I must admit, as we've talked about my other podcast, I'm also fascinated with it as in the context of the history of professional wrestling because. One of the great things about television is that when television was first starting off, you did have you know, major networks, but those major networks would only maybe block four hours of television per day. So NBC was only airing like four four to six hours of TV. And what were you going to do with the rest of that, you know, those 19 to 18 hours of, of television time? Well, that's where local affiliates came in. And those local affiliates would produce their own television shows. And, you know, they, they would... A lot of times they would end up being like local variety shows um, for the most part, you know, stuff that was cheap to make, much like networks today making reality TV, very similar in that vein. However, there were a lot of you know, smaller local affiliates that would indeed be making you know, actual pieces of television, whether a soap opera or a drama or, you know, or something like Future Boy or, excuse me, uh, Time Patrol. Um, and, and so it's just, it was really cool that they decided not only to have this set in the 50s uh, and, and have a television show, you know, be your main setting, but also to do it 
in St. Louis as opposed to having it set in New York or Hollywood, like you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, because that was, again, that, that, that was exactly what was happening in, in those days. And it's fascinating because there are some shows that ended up having a, a long lifespan that were born out of that. And the two that come to mind right off the top of my head, which aren't anywhere near being like Time Patrol, would be like Bozo, which is obviously Chicago you know, uh, original, or even Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers started off as a, a, you know, as, as a public television program in Pittsburgh before getting picked up and being aired nationally on PBS because I, I think it's, I want to say it's like its first two seasons or something like that were pretty much only shown in Pittsburgh. And then it became, you know, this national uh, broadcast show. Um, but yeah, Rod Serling, for instance, was initially, I think, working in Cincinnati. And so a lot of the earliest, earliest programs that he was writing were being done in Cincinnati. And there was one in particular that ended up kind of getting him a lot of his notoriety that he ended up taking and they redid it in New York. Um, now, of course, the other thing that's fascinating about all of this is that these were shot live. And and most times, not all the time, but most times were broadcast live. So it was really more like theater uh, in a lot of ways than what we're used to today with television. Sure. Um, it's just it's it's so cool. Yeah. And, 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 and the 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 connection there to professional wrestling is, is that in the days of the territories, uh, St. Louis being a prime example because they had a big territory, you only saw your local wrestling. So there was no like WWE that broadcast a national you know, program, you only knew what was happening in your territory. So you had like, so St. Louis had a TV program, Memphis had a TV program, Dallas had a TV program, San Francisco, and so on and so forth. And you only saw what was happening like in your area. So if you lived in St. Louis, you wouldn't know what was happening in in Florida. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's just such a fascinating way to look at not only the growth of professional wrestling, clearly, but as an extension of that, uh, the growth of television, um, because they really did sort of mirror one another as television got further and further away from local, you know, affiliates broadcasting their own programming and, and things becoming more nationally driven and, and driven by cable. So anyway, I've gone yeah. too much, but I just no, love no, this yeah, stuff. I, so I remember, uh, yeah, I, I definitely didn't know that history about wrestling, like, but I remember like being like, like a kid and like, of course, like, um, I can't remember like what, the, what the TBS, it wasn't WCW, but it was some predecessor to that. NWA. Uh, NWA. Was that it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So yeah, NWA. And then, of course, like, you know, like also saw like WCW, WWF, you know, those, but I do remember seeing like Saturday mornings, like wrestling that was just like local area wrestling. It was probably like across, like the nearest major city was like Evansville, Indiana. It was probably sure. that or maybe been out of St. Louis. I don't know. But yeah, just seeing... Yeah, just seeing that local yeah. wrestling. And it's also to note, uh, you know, this wasn't just like local affiliates. Like even in this time that you were speaking of, like even the big shows were, they were oftentimes, they were live. Yeah. Uh, I remember being a big deal back in the mid-80s when they quote unquote found a lot of lost episodes of The Honeymooners. Yeah. Which really weren't episodes of The Honeymooners, but... um that show started off as a regular sketch on the Jackie Gleason show. And it's important to know, like, you know, we, we tend to think of like sketches, like Saturday night live sketches of being just like maybe three or four minutes. But like some of these honeymooner sketches, like they would be like half the episode. They would be like 15 minute sketches. Right. Within the Jackie Gleason show. And that's what these lost episodes were. Um, and I remember when these episodes were found, uh, WGN did a huge, 
special about it where they uh, the original cast they got back together to mm. to do like little like recorded segments and talk about it and in one of the segments Jackie Gleason like introduced like he explained like in the old days the shows were live they were like theater and so th- there were no there were no retakes so yeah. if, if so if a prop didn't work or an actor went up on a line they just had to roll with it and improvise and then they and then they showed uh, just like like a five minute montage of like all these mishaps that happened right. during these honeymooners episodes of just like 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 actors forgetting lines and someone else jumping in or 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 a prop just doesn't work and they have to improvise around it so yeah that's what I love I don't watch them but like the um I don't watch them often but I'm fascinated by like like the live musicals I think that NBC <laughs> does now yeah. occasionally and it's like you, you don't see that anymore uh right. Uh, I mean, I guess Saturday Night Live, but even that, it's going on a tape delay. So if something catastrophically goes right. wrong, or, or somebody drops a uh, you know a cuss word that they can't say, well, you, you don't you don't have a lot of that anymore. No, no, it's funny because I can remember in the '90s, um, George Clooney um, apparently was a huge fan and proponent of that sort of thing. And not only did he end up doing a uh, black and white live televised version of the film Failsafe, I believe is what it was called, where it's basically about um, uh, the potential to to drop a, a, an atomic bomb um, on the Soviet Union. And it had, it, it had been done before, and they did this remake of it, and it was live. Um, and uh, it was very good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Well, they also ended up then doing a live episode of ER. Um, right, yeah. And, uh, which, was, which was really cool as well. Uh-huh. Um yeah, I, I I I think that stuff like that is just awesome, and 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 I it, it's it's obviously one of those things that they used to do just out of requirement, you know, back in the day. And now it's odd because it's almost like people would be afraid to do that, you know. And and, and when it, there was a time when that was just what you did, uh, the closest you kind of come to it these days. Uh, probably are, are like a lot of soap operas. Yeah, I was, you know? that just came to mind. So funny, like I remember that um, I, I didn't actually watch it, but I remember like reading the TV Guide article, like talking about that the 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 George Clooney project that you were talking about. Yeah, and he was he was admitting admitting the challenges of doing that, talking about like it's very hard to translate theater onto tape to show nice. it on television. And he actually compared it to like it's like watching porn where they never actually have sex. Uh, what's the point? I mean, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. well, but it, it, it is, it is fascinating. And, and do you think about the fact that oftentimes they were getting scripts, you know, um, uh, just a day before or a couple of days before there was often little to no rehearsal, you know, it was very much a case of just like getting up there and doing it. It's almost like, um, you know, like, uh, what backroom Shakespeare used to do here in Chicago. Cause I don't know if they're still around anymore, actually, Who's that? which is too bad. Backroom Shakespeare. They, they basic okay. So basically, what it was is that um, it would be mostly, um, if not exclusively, like equity actors. But to get around equity rules to be able to do this, they couldn't rehearse. Um, they couldn't, you know, wear costumes. They couldn't, you know, basically it was literally, they would just go into like a room in a bar and they would do this, you know, Julius Caesar, um, which is actually one of the ones that Jess and I saw. And, uh, you know, it's fascinating because it's like, they didn't get any rehearsal time. They didn't get any, they they just show up. Hopefully they know their lines. Um, you, you know, but, uh, 
yeah, that, that there's something the immediacy of that, and 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 the you know this is a slight overstatement, but the danger of it it, it can make it even more appealing. Um, I, I think another two television programs that are obviously close to my heart that I've mentioned before, Doctor Who, uh, operating on kind of a small budget, and in the early days would indeed be taped live. Now it would not be broadcast live, but it was taped live. The BBC did that a lot, um, and so famously some you know some flubs would end up in the episodes and luckily you know a lot uh, of of the early episodes that once were thought to have been destroyed uh not a lot but some of them have been found so you know we've got a lot of those early episodes still around which is great including like the first most of the first season um another show that's worth noting here would be dark shadows because dark oh, shadows Lord, was, yeah. was also filmed live and they couldn't really do multiple takes so there's a lot of flubs that exist in that and they had a kid in the bulk of the first few seasons and the kid was notorious for just like making mistakes and just being off his mark and all this so anytime he's in a scene you would always you know kind of be on the lookout because it's like well is he going to bump into some furniture is he going to drop a line is he going to call somebody by the wrong name is he gonna and it's just i i don't know we can kind of look on it and either roll our eyes and be like wow that's you know amateur and thank god we don't have to deal with that today um you know when there's so much more time for these things but there's also something incredibly endearing about it as well. Sure. I remember reading a tidbit about uh, the old Dark Shadows TV show. They were so low budget, even though they had a wide range of characters. Yeah. Only five characters could appear in any given episode. <laughs> I believe it. So they only had to pay five actors. Yeah. Uh, another TV show from this era is Captain Zero. That's right. Uh, which is uh, almost, you would almost say like this was like where maybe... They, they got the idea for Time Patrol. Uh, yeah. And Captain Zero will come back in the final episode. That's right. Uh, when when Mo Stein appears in another form, watching that on the, on the, on the, the TV in the bar. Um, and one last thing that I want to mention in conjunction with all of this is that one of the reasons why I think I have a fascination with this particular period of television and especially with like local uh, television programs, um, the Dumont network was a local Chicago network, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, the thing is, is that they, no one ever knew that we were going to be sitting here watching TV on DVD or streaming it on Netflix. So a lot of these episodes of television and sometimes just the whole series were either erased or destroyed, or, you know, not kept up very well, so they're, you know, damaged beyond repair. And because, again, back then, no one was thinking about reruns, no one was thinking about syndication, no one was thinking about, you know, VHS or DVD or streaming. So a lot of, you know, television programs from the golden age of television no longer exist in Mm -hmm. any form. And I think that sort of ephemeral quality that is very similar to live theater, that, that that it's there one moment and gone the next, um makes it all the more fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but how lucky, how lucky are we, Dennis, that here we are 27 years later and we can still watch and talk about Quantum Leap. How lucky we are. <laughs> and how lucky are our listeners? Not very lucky. Anyway, uh, so to dive in, let, let's talk about some of the actors. Richard Hurd, uh, who plays Mo yeah. Stein, he's, he has had a long story career. The last thing I have seen him in, I don't know if you've seen this yet or not, uh, Get Out. I've not seen it yet. Uh, I know. I, would, I really need to. I was I was surprised to see him uh, pop up in the movie. Without giving a spoiler, like like he shows up in, um, I, I think pretty much video. 
uh, of videos that okay. you know, that characters watch. I mean, it is a small role in terms of screen time as far as the importance of the role. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a very important role. Um, okay, but yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see him because you know he he even seems like pretty old and. Uh, in this episode, it turns out he was just in his late fifties in this episode of Quantum Leap. But I was yeah. uh, one of those people I kind of like file away. Is like, yeah, probably dead. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he's eighty six years old. He's still working. He's got two films that are actually in production right now, mm-hmm. uh, or, or maybe uh, one of them. Excuse me, one of them is in post production, and the other one is is about ready to go into production. So you know. He's uh, he's awesome. Good for him. And and as is noted um, on a couple of places, um, he does have a striking resemblance, not only physically but vocally, even to Carl Malden. Sure. Um, and uh, uh, he's he, he's instantly recognizable, not only for his own work, <laughs> but for <laughs> but for looking like somebody else who's yes. very famous. But yeah, but, but yeah, but for other but for other people's work. And I think uh, the other Quantum Leap podcast, the Quantum Leap podcast, I think when they did their episode of Future Boy here a few months ago, they actually they did a short interview blurb with him. Oh, nice. Uh, perhaps yeah. And I think Matt Dale, the the author of the book uh, that we reference. I think he may have actually been gifted the 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 tin hat or the the aluminum wow, hat, the pyramid hat. Yeah, the pyramid hat that we see that we see later on in the episode. That is awesome. Um, it's worth noting, as we always try to do, and it's very easy usually uh, that he is also a Star Trek alum. Uh, he played Lacor in Star Trek: The Next Generation two parter Birthright, um, which is actually fairly excellent. Uh, episode uh, two-parter, I might add. Uh, he also would go on to play Admiral Owen Paris in Star Trek Voyager, the father of Tom Paris. That's uh, where I know him from, yes. Yeah, so he was in a number of episodes there. He was also Admiral Noyce in um, Sequest DSV. Um, so he was also on Sequest uh, as an admiral. That's, he was playing admiral a couple of times. That's right. Where were, uh, Oh, Sequest came up the other day in conversation. There's some... Uh, government official, and we're talking like right right now, currently in the news, has has gotten in some trouble because they they have some vehicle or boat or something using taxpayer dollars, and it's actually called Sequest. Oh dear God! And so uh, so Betsy brought it up the other day, and I asked her if uh, if she was familiar with the, the old Sequest TV show, and she was like, "Hello, yes, I am," because those shows are not <laughs> are not in her wheelhouse at all. But yeah. uh, Jonathan Brandis. Was definitely in her wheelhouse, of course, as he was in many, many people's wheelhouse. Jonathan Brandis <laughs> talking to a talking to a talking dolphin. She was there for that. I mean, his face was on the cover of pretty much every issue of like Teen Beat and Tiger for probably like three years in a row. Between Sequest and Sidekicks, and I mean, he was yeah, he was all over the place. Between that, tragic, I mean, yeah. tragic end for him, obviously. Yeah. Um, but but let's face it, he was all over the place for a while. Yeah, but I remember uh, him from that, and obviously it. He was yes. He was young. Same here. Billy Denbrow. Yeah, that's how I was. That's how I was introduced. So good in that too. Like he's really like I, he's just legit. Like very good in that. Yeah. I I thought anyway. God, yeah. I was I, I was I, I was about to say that. If he were still alive today, maybe he would have had some involvement as older Billy in the, in the current It incarnation, but he would even be too old. Yeah, would he? Would, wow. Because I know, uh, I'm trying to think, because I, I know that they've announced the, the cast of the, of the yeah. adult actors. They've, they've even started filming. Yeah. Uh, I know Bill Hader is playing the adult Richie. Right. But he's the right. only one who instantly um, 
uh, that instantly comes to mind is the cast of the of the of the older the kids yeah. in the adult version of it. Yeah. If, yeah. 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 Oh man, I I'm I I'm so behind on on film watching. Obviously, I haven't seen Get Out. Get Out. I haven't seen uh, the new It yet either. So I need to get on that. But I loved the old one so much. Uh, I, I yeah. Not to go down too far a rabbit hole. I like them both equally for different reasons. Sure. Uh, it's not it's not fair to compare the two. Um. Like yeah, I like them both equally. Um. I think yeah. uh, Peter Skarsgård. I think is his name. Uh, yep. The actor who plays it, I, I think he does such a fantastic job. His performance is undercut by the fact that they put too much CGI on him. Oh no! When they could, when they could have just put him in some makeup and let him be creepy. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's my two cents yeah. on that. Yeah. Um. Well, but back to Richard Hurd. Yeah, um, <laughs> he's great in this episode, and uh, clearly has a very long. Uh, career and, and and still working today, which we're you know very glad that he's still around. That 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 he isn't one of those guys that you can just be like, oh well, he's probably dead. Yeah, um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but going down the list, uh, uh, Deborah Strickland, the actor who plays yes. uh, Irene, um, sh- shorter career. She only has eleven credits on IMDb. Um, looks like her last credit was in nineteen ninety five. Yep, uh, that's what I see. Yeah, yeah uh, Ben Harris. Uh, uh, played by George played Weiner. Played by George Weiner. He's one of those, like, you, you've seen him pop up in, in everything. Yes. Uh, Colonel Colonel Sanders. Oh, dear God. And Spaceballs. That's what I remember. Uh, That's what I remember him from. Yeah, that would probably be the uh, the big one on, on, his, on his IMDb page here. Um, Alan Fudge, um, who unfortunately did pass in 2011 at the age of 67. Um, he, uh, oh, technical difficulties here. Uh, he played Dr. Richard Sandler in this episode, um, and he had quite the career. Um, a, a lot of really uh, cool stuff, actually, if you ask me. Um, one of the last things that he was on, and, and I didn't recognize him uh, until I read this, but he played... Um, uh, one of the sh- one of the big wigs uh, for Dunder Mifflin in the office in the episode shareholder meeting, okay. which is a pretty <laughs> hilarious episode. Um, and, uh, and and now that I'm you know reading that, it's like oh yeah, I totally recognize him. But um, well, you know, lots of guest appearances on TV shows. Uh, y- you know, even in the recent past, including The Office, How I Met Your Mother, um, The Closer, Big Love, and uh, just you know, lots and lots of stuff going back uh, uh, all the way to the uh, early 70s with Gunsmoke being his first recorded uh, guest appearance here. Um, but yeah, quite a lengthy career, lots of credits, um, and uh, too bad that he has he has left us. But um, also it looks like he did a few episodes of MASH, so oh, there wow. you go. And another actor of note, uh, David Sage, who plays the judge. Um, uh, he has had a long career. Did he pass away at all? His, his IMDb page is not fully updated. He did have uh, a guest, uh, a guest slot in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Uh, Boom! Yeah, one of, <laughs> one, of, one of the early one of the early episodes. Uh, speaking of slight tangent, um, w- with you being busy with the family yesterday, did you see the the latest Star Trek oh, news? Did I? Yes, I did, and uh, I. That's it's pretty damn cool. Like I, I've made no. Uh, um, you know, not tried to hide the fact 
that um, I was not very thrilled with Discovery, uh, Star Trek Discovery. But, um, yeah, the announcement that we're talking about is that Patrick Stewart has been announced to come back to play um, Picard again in, in a series. Not like This isn't like a, a guest shot or a one shot. Like He's going to do a, a Picard series. Um, and, you know, they didn't tell us too much about it, but it, it sounds like they're hinting that it may end up being... Um, very different type of Star Trek show. I have a feeling that it's not going to be like Captain Picard off in space having adventures, that this is going to be more of a diplomat Picard dealing with political uh, issues. And, uh, I'll be interested in seeing that. Because at first, uh, I'd read something a few weeks ago that it was actually going to be a cartoon. Uh, oh, or, 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 or some speculation from some fans mm. that it might be a cartoon. Because I think in then it was the kind of more idea that they were going to revive the next generation in sure. general, and if you bring it back in cartoon form, then you don't have to deal with things like data yeah. aging, you know, things like that. Right, um, right. And at first, I thought maybe it was like, because I, I I haven't watched Discovery yet. I'm going to get it on Blu-ray, and then I'll watch it then. I do want to do the CBS All Access thing, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But I, I already know that there's some time travel involved in the series. So at, at, at first, I thought maybe they were going to bring Captain Picard into that series in some, by right. way of time travel of some way. Um, you know, the, I, one of the things, and I, you know, we're going on lots of tangents, but hey, that's what we do. But one of the things I think that did bother me, that, and this kind of loops in to Quantum Leap, is that there are very few mentions or references to Enterprise on Discovery. And even though Discovery is technically closer in timeline to the original series, it's the first, chronologically, the first series to be set after Enterprise. Um, and so... It seems a shame that there's only a couple of times when, like, Jonathan Archer has been mentioned. And I'm not saying that you got to throw a ton of references in or whatever. But, I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird the way that the show spent, in, in my opinion, a good part of its time trying to distance itself from any other iteration of Star Trek while also doing everything they could to, you know, bring back a character like Harry Mudd or to end the way that this the season ends, which I, I won't spoil, but it's 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 weird. It's a weird beast and and part of me really liked it and but ultimately it just I couldn't get I couldn't get fully invested in it. I gotcha. So I'm not even clear which timeline does this take place in? It takes place in the it, original timeline. In the T V series timeline, yeah. Okay. Because I wasn't clear yeah. whether they were going to go that or they were going to go down the, the the movie the movie timeline route. Apparently, they can't because the interesting thing that J.J. Abrams did is he um, produced the Star Trek films through his production company, Bad Robot. So they're distributed by Paramount. Star Trek itself is a Paramount property, but the films and the story in the films actually belong to Bad Robot. Mm. Which is really interesting when you think about it. So he has, um, up until recently, they were not allowing, um, like, the books to to mention any of that. There was supposed to be a series of books that were going to be written that were set in, like, the, the movie timeline. And those all got canceled um, because they didn't, like, Bad Robot wouldn't approve that. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's really interesting, the rights issues and how that got all tangled up. But it's also indicative of Star Trek in general because Star Trek has had a long history of the films and the TV shows being handled by different companies, basically. Yeah. Um, whereas CBS Television owns all the TV, Paramount owns the films. That's interesting. 
So, so CBS All Access can show you all the Star Trek series and episodes ever, but you're probably never going to see one of the films on there. I'm okay with that. Well, like yeah. some of the films are wrong. I also feel like, and I, I remember like the the last Star Trek movie that came out that I watched. That I realized the thing is, is like Star Wars works better as movies. Sure, I think they work better as big tent movies, and I think like doing a like a one off movie every other year. Like I think th- there's a reason why Solo failed, and it, it's not just like around that particular movie. I just I, I think like Star Wars are like big tent movies. Bring us one like every four or five years, and then just just knock it off with the standalone stories. Uh, whereas I think Star Trek works much better in the realm of television than it does in movies because yeah. Star Trek is about big ideas that are explored better through TV series over several episodes instead of movies. Uh, yeah, I agree, and I think it's one of the things about um, that, that ends up being frustrating at times uh, about like Voyager um, is that whereas the original series and Next Generation did a wonderful job of telling um, self-contained stories, you know, within like one episode, or in the case of Next Generation, a couple of episodes. Granted, there were some running threads, but they were more character. Like Worf, for instance, sure. like a lot of those episodes you could watch independently of the others. But if you watch all of like the big Worf episodes together, it tells a beautiful storyline. Um, but it still was mostly still just an episodic television program. Then you had DS9 come along and DS9 was much more about like an epic narrative, a beginning, middle and end sort of thing. And Voyager comes along and it kind of tried to do both. And I think it failed miserably. It's like they would try to do these things where it's like, here's a big story arc and then the next thing you know, you're getting just a pure piece of episodic television that means nothing and completely ignores and disregards everything that just happened for the past, like, six episodes that were one big story arc. Mm-hmm. And and so that was frustrating. And, and yeah, but anyway, um, it, it's something that Quantum Leap never really dealt with was that it was pretty much strictly episodic television. Mm-hmm. Pretty much. I mean, some overall stories, some, uh, some different threads going on, like say with like Al's wives. Speaking of, to get back in the speaking episode. Speaking of. Yeah. So. And speaking of Rod Serling. Yeah. Dean Stockwell in that suit, like when he first pops he up. He very, like, yeah. <laughs> he has, um, yes, he has a very, yeah, boring, obviously, uh, yeah. Rod, Rod Serling look. So we do get this great scene, uh, in the dressing room of Sam, not just discovering who he is, but I think more importantly, discovering who Mo Stein yeah. is and like, and like seeing his, uh, the, the reviews that he has pinned up and everything. And hey. they, yeah, and they have a, uh, I can't remember if it happens before the scene with Al or after, but him and, uh, Mo, they have this great scene where Sam's like, Hey, you know, you're a Shakespearean actor. There's a great line, uh, uh, Shakespeare wrote dialogue. Yeah. What's his face? Uh, what's it? Ben Harris writes television. Yeah. Oh God, it's so great. Yeah. And it's you know, and again, it's it's one of those things that's wonderful about like the golden age of television is that so many actors and writers for that part you know did turn their noses up at television as a oh medium. God, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like it's uh, one of the things l- that makes a guy like Rod Serling to, stand out. Mm-hmm. To not take it back to Star Trek, but I think Leonard Nimoy was uh, was a, class, a classically trained Shakespeare actor. And for the first few years after the original iteration of Star Trek wrapped up, he was kind of bitter sure. that he was only known as Spock. Right, right. 
a lot of those, a lot of those guys uh, and gals, for that for that matter, had had issues. Uh, I think afterwards, but uh, there's a wonderful documentary on Leonard Nimoy that was done by his son Adam. Um, uh, uh, now I can't remember the name of it, but it just came out recently. It was on Netflix. It's really, really quite wonderful. Um, but yeah, the 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 write up about um, uh, Mo playing Macbeth. Uh, is it, I, it's really lovely, and of course they also touch on the the theater superstition about not saying the Scottish you know, play, yeah, yeah, the name of the Scottish play, uh, which is great, and it's wonderful too because I feel like Moe's having a little fun with Sam with it too. Like he's not like he doesn't buy it one hundred percent either, but he's like, oh no, you don't say that name, and you know, and it's great because Kenny is clearly this young, new, fresh actor, and so there is an element of Moe kind of taking him under his wing at times, and they have a really nice relationship and I feel like there's a good chance that I could be wrong about this but I there's a good chance that Kenny is not the first future boy you know that he's new to the role oh I think they, you, they kind of they kind of drop some hints that Kenny is new yeah yeah um and and so it's really yeah it's it's a, it's a fun relationship one thing that's really cool about this too is that I feel like that little that little notice about Macbeth plays such a big part in this episode and, and, and it's like it's in this scene, it kind of disappears and you don't think about it again. And in the end, when it gets brought back, it's really lovely. Mm-hmm. And it's just this wonderful like I, I love stuff like that. This this piece of paper that gets imbued with so much meaning, um, you know, for the characters and also for the audience as, as a wonderful storytelling device. It's it's a really yeah, it's a really great piece of, of, of writing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really great. So, yeah, so uh, Mo does have the scene with Sam first, and then his daughter, Irene, shows up, and you, you automatically get the hint that, that Mo does not want to see his daughter for whatever reason, no. and that and that's going to unfold throughout the episode. And then Al appears, and we get the explanation. He's in the suit because he has a, a hearing for more alimony. He's getting sued for more alimony by his third, no, fourth yeah. wife, and, <laughs> uh, and his... Uh, Attorney recommended that he that he appear a little bit more boring, a little bit more professional. Right. He actually looks pretty dapper in that in that somewhat boring suit. Oh yeah, yeah. Dean Stockwell can wear a suit. Yeah, yeah. he can. I remember uh, it, uh, this was probably like two or three years after he guest starred on an episode of Murder She Wrote. Okay, where he played a New York theater critic. Oh wow! And I remember all I remember in that episode is that he gives uh, kind of like a. Like one of those like televised reviews, like you know they used to do on like you know like news shows or whatever. Like he yeah. he gives a very scathing review of an actor that just debuted. I think it may have been a Broadway show, but I'm not sure. I think it was definitely a New York show. Okay. Uh, he gives a scathing review, and it turns out at the end of the episode, he is the murderer. Oh man! Oh man! Of course! Of course! Spoilers, Dennis. I was going to track that down. Uh, um. Hey! 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 <laughs> Uh, but, but, uh, I really now I really do have to find that episode now though. Yeah, but then uh but then we get we, we get the stakes of the of the episode and the scene is that um in, oh, in, in two days. Oh, I'm so sorry. What? I'm so sorry I have to interrupt you because I just I did, I looked it up. Yeah. The name of the episode. Oh god. Are you ready for this? Oh god. Deadpan. Get it? Because he pans the show and then somebody winds up dead. dead. Oh, wow. 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 Yeah, the name of his character was Elliot Easterbrook. That's right. Oh, I wonder, what, I wonder if that's on Netflix <laughs> or not. There was Season 4, Episode 21. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, small tangent, then we'll get back in. 
Um, no, really? <laughs> so when I first moved to Chicago, I met a woman named Laura through the improv scene. Uh, mm-hmm. And we bonded very quickly over our love of Quantum Leap. Uh, when she was a kid, her parents would only let her watch an hour of television a week. Oh, wow. Okay. She alternated between Quantum Leap yeah. and Murder, She Wrote. Boom. That's great. I feel like you might have told me that before. That's great. Yeah. I, I, haven't uh, seen, I haven't seen her on Facebook in a while. I have to see. I think, yeah, she got married and moved off. But anyway. Um, Murder, She Wrote was definitely one of those shows that, like, a, a, yeah, Quantum Leap always sort of felt like my show in a lot of ways. But Murder, She Wrote and, and like, Matlock, those two shows were always watched in my household. And whenever a Perry Mason movie aired. So, oh, God, saw yeah. lots of those. Oh, yeah. Oh, a lot of those. Uh, those, Perry Mason and Columbo. My mom, yeah. my mom loved Columbo as well. Yes, but anyway, so we learned the stakes of this uh, of the episode in the scene is that in two days Mo is going to get killed trying to hop a train, mm-hmm. which from what we've seen so far in this episode that just seems absolutely absurd. It really does. Yeah. but the only way to save him is to have him committed to a mental institution. So and let's go ahead. Sam right away is not a fan of this particular. Resolution. Of this thing. And let's just go ahead and, and say right away, there is a lot of language about mental illness in this episode that would not pass the sniff test by a 2018 sensibility. For sure. For so, sure. but I mean, as as far as like the 1950s where this episode takes place is and when this episode was written in, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, there was probably more of a, 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 an awareness uh, in, in 1991, but I think the sensitivity to it, you know, was, was not what it is today at all. Yeah, uh, but even the, yeah, but uh, Matt mentioned in his book that in one of the earlier drafts of the script, that in this scene that, that we're talking about right now, uh, I'm trying to find it here, like Sam makes, um, um, Sam makes a reference that would be considered not PC by even that time. Oh, like in the original script, like Sam has a line is like, you don't save somebody who's normal and then throw them into a mental institution. Ah, sure. Which makes the, it's kind of ableist in that, you know, that, uh, that someone who is mentally ill is not quote unquote normal. So, but yeah. 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 It's, I, I feel as though... It could absolutely be viewed as as problematic the way that it's talked about, and even in some ways, the resolution, you know, the courtroom scene that's not really a courtroom scene, for instance, is, would be another example too. Like that scene, and then the final scene, I think you could certainly find problematic with the way that not only they're talking about um, mental illness, but also the way that they're not talking about it um you know sam's sam's kind of miracle on 34th street moment you know where he brings in all sure. the fan yeah. mail and you know talks he makes it seem like it's weird because on one on the one hand he seems to be normalizing mo's behavior um which is fine but he also seems to be it's almost as though he's saying look this guy's crazy but it's okay that he's crazy because of the kind of crazy that he is He's a kind of crazy that Sam can relate to trying to sure. build a time machine, which he even directly references in this scene. 
Yeah, and it's really fascinating because something that never really gets touched on within the context of the show, other than maybe in the first episode when Sam actually goes into the accelerator, is like Al at one point just calls Sam eccentric. And it's something that's kind of weird because we don't think of Sam in that way. And it's almost like the line in Runaway where, you know, he talks about being a non-person. We don't get to really know a lot about who Sam Beckett is is in 1995 when he started leaping around in time we get flashes and glimpses of kind of like who he was or where he's coming from but to think of al calling sam eccentric it does paint this picture in your head of like man yeah i guess you'd have to be a little eccentric to do some of the things that he did and has oh God. Done. i mean i mean it's a thing that the way, they the way they oftentimes like they present scientists are very highly intelligent people in, in movies is they they make them a little bit more like socially awkward and bumbling like very much like Sam in most episodes mm-hmm. when in reality they're probably going to be like a little bit more yeah you know eccentric yeah uh, and it's I, I do think that that's a thread whether intentional or not that prelude does kind of pick up on the novel I was just, because there are certain things that Sam does within the novel or that you know like other characters talk about him doing that kind of feed into that like I'm thinking of the there's one scene in particular where it's late at night at the project and they're doing some work and he's walking down the hallway and as he's walking down the hallway he starts singing a line uh, from like um, uh, uh, Man of La Mancha and then he immediately transitions from that into like an Elvis song and then into another song and it's just like it's such a silly little piece of you know eccentric behavior and at one point he's reading a book that he's read before and Alec calls him out on it and Sam has this explanation about how like yes he remembers reading you know remembers every line in the book because of his photographic memory but it's the experience of reading the book that he has to have uh, so it's it, it, there are these little things I think threads that get pulled on in, in Prelude that that fit well with Al's statement about him being eccentric. Well, definitely, like, the, the, the moment that I remember from Prelude as we were talking about this is um, towards the end of the novel, uh, they, 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 they take some liberty with, with the story uh, that's a little bit different from the pilot. But, For sure. But uh, what I do remember is, uh, like, like, there are government officials there, like, about to shut him down. And, like, Sam, like, the way he's having this conversation and the way he's confronting them, like, he starts, like, backing up, like, into the accelerator. And I can't remember how exactly it is, but, like, I I think, like, Gushy may have been in the room. And, like, Gushy has this moment of panic, like, when he realizes what Sam is about to do. And the way Sam is described in that scene, like, this crazed look in his eye of, like, oh, you're here to shut me down? No, I'm going to prove you wrong. Yeah. And and if you go back to the look on Sam's face in the accelerator, especially oh, yeah. in the pilot episode, like there is this sort of, um, you know, this, this look on his face, you know, almost manic kind of like, yeah, it, 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 it's it's fascinating because, I, again, I do think it's not something that we think or get confronted with a lot uh, within the, the within show. the show, yeah, um, and so yeah, because yeah. a lot of times, like the the way I think about like Sam Beckett versus like how he's portrayed in the TV series, because you know this is how you portray you know like bumbling scientist or whatever versus real life, is I kind of compare him to uh, Elon Musk, and and, and sure. there are uh, there are some stories about there about Elon Musk about how 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 weird and, and kind of crazy and like not socially aware he is. Like there was a story that I, I read a couple years ago. That uh, one of the one of his top managers on a project like missed an important day at work, basically because his child was born. Wow! And Elon Musk wrote him a note telling him how disappointed he was in him not 
being there. Wow. And basically, like, I can't remember what it said, but, like, basically said, it doesn't matter your child was born. You should have been here. We're creating the future. It's, you know, it's, it's, I think it is worth noting here, um, Hopefully I have the compassion, empathy, and sensitivity to address this in a proper way that, that, you know, won't upset anyone, but that there is a lot of speculation that people, you know, like Elon Musk or, or like Einstein, for instance, are indeed somewhere on the spectrum Mm -hmm. and that that is one of the reasons why there are certain social behaviors that we generally find to be, um, you know, the most acceptable, if you will, that they don't exhibit, that they don't have because it's just a, a, a sort of a lack of awareness because of being, you know, somewhere on that spectrum. And I, I think that there's probably some validity to that speculation. Um, you know, when you think about the sort of the notion that like, um, that the, those lack that the, the lack of some of those social mores or, or, or whatnot are often sort of made up for by things like uh, an incredible memory or or an understanding of you know of, of math or or uh, you know an imagination or you know photographic I mean, things like that. There there is that very interesting thing, and it makes you wonder when it comes to the human mind, like what barriers are put up within our brains. Um, that might inhibit certain behaviors, uh, you know, in one fashion and yet allow us to unlock other kinds of behaviors in another. I, I mean, it's, it's obviously something that I am poorly equipped to discuss in detail, but it's still fascinating to consider. It is very fascinating. And I think it's, um, what I find interesting about it is like, even if someone is, if, if they may not be on the spectrum, I think a lot of times when someone is more artistically minded, brains are less wired to be more socially aware. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm struggling myself right now to say it in an articulate way. Um, I, I, I think we are not, as a society, we are not forgiving of that a lot of times. No, exactly. We, uh, you know, we, we want, uh, we, we want our actors and our performers and our artists to be absolutely brilliant in what they do. But I think the general public may not be like willing to accept that what you have to do, like how you have to pour yourself into being like incredibly dedicated to a craft, like whether it's, science or whatever thing or whatever it's performance or whatever, like your, your brain is wired in a certain, a certain way that you don't, um, that yeah, some of that, some social awareness and social skills, they fall by the wayside. And I think general public is, they are, uh, sympathetic to that until they're not. Absolutely. I think a wonderful example, one of my favorite actors is Joaquin Phoenix and I think that, and I'm not trying to say that he's on the spectrum or anything like that. I'm not making a diagnosis. I'm not a medical professional. Mm-hmm. But I think that he is a wonderful example of what you're talking about, uh, of, of maybe, you know, lacking or lacking. That makes it sound like there's something wrong. But but maybe not having the same kind of, um, you know, social awareness uh, as, uh, you know, a lot of other people out there. And, you know, listening to interviews with him, um, 
or even seeing him when he's in a, a you know like at the Oscars when you see him at the Oscars like he he always looks very uncomfortable in those situations and you know other people are very good at going out there whether it's a mask or not you know sitting down looking like they're so happy to be there that this is the greatest night ever and all this sort of stuff and he never looks that way you know and and I I think that even like his whole uh, experiment with um uh, I'm not, or no, um, I'm still here. The, the, the movie that he shot with Casey Affleck where, you, you know, everybody thought, or they tried to make everybody think that this was a documentary film when really it was just an act that he was, you know, he's playing this whole time. Um, and, and, and certainly you could look at that as being eccentric behavior. Um, and yet there is no denying that he is an incredibly talented, powerful, amazing actor, um, you know, capable of, of, of great range and depth of emotion and, you know, having that rare and, and incredibly important quality of being able to convey not only an emotion, but a story without saying a word. Um, and, and so it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it, you, you look at that and you find that there are a lot of people out there that give him flack for that or criticize him for that or even get combative in interviews with him because he's, you know, he doesn't really want to answer the standard questions and he doesn't, you know, he's not interested in being, you know, your typical celebrity Hollywood yeah. movie star, your celebrity. So, um, um, I mean, I love him. I care less. But, you know, there, there are there are a lot of people out there that I think look at that as, you know, that there is something wrong with him. And in reality, he's just a guy who works a job that's a little bit different from a lot of people and, and, you know, and doesn't buy into all of those other trappings that, that you find, you know, with, with some celebrities, not that there's anything wrong with that either. For sure. Yeah. But there is like the expectation in Hollywood, like if you are going to be a popular actor, like you can't just practice your craft, collect your paycheck and go home. Like, you know, you gotta do, you gotta do the talk show circuit. You gotta be a celebrity. You have to be on. Right. But then look at somebody like Daniel Day-Lewis. It's like, you know, he does a movie and then he goes off for two years and makes shoes in Italy. So, <laughs> or, yeah, or, or yeah, or things like that. Anyway, huge tangents here, uh, yeah, like we do. Know. So, um, but yeah, in the in, in this, um, yeah, but in the scene here, like we get a little bit of history of, you know, the Quantum Leap Project and how eccentric Sam is. I love the line of like, you know, I'm dressed as a giant baked potato talking to a hologram. Yeah. What does that make me? And Al says, yeah, eccentric. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so from there, we get another scene with uh, where he, he meets Irene and basically where she explains like why she wants to have him put into a mental institution is that basically he can't he can't take care of himself anymore. Like he almost uh, set his home on fire, like cooking dinner sometime, yeah. sometime recently. And now, like even I'm talking about it, it's like why the jump to the mental institution and why not just an assisted care facility, like an assisted living facility? Because well, it does sound like, well, I mean, we, we're going to get into the time machine here later on. Sure. Uh, but like some of the things she says in the scene, it, it, it's like less, like less like he's mentally unwell and more just like he's starting to get senile with old age. I, I get the distinct feeling that that might be a product of the time. Sure. You know, in 1957, yeah. you didn't think about sending someone to, uh, uh, you know, an independent living facility where they would be, you know, maybe occasionally monitored and, and, and have, you know, people there. But at the same time, they were still living on their own or an assisted living facility, like you're saying, or a nursing home or, you know, whatever the case may be. It, it, it didn't seem there were like those types of levels, mm-hmm. if you will. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, I don't That's know. That's a good though. point. I, yeah. But, but even, even then... Uh, I think for me personally, what this is more about is it's more about Irene's 
inability, I guess, to understand her father. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, or, or maybe it's not even inability. Like she doesn't even want to at this point. She's kind of closed herself off to that possibility. Yeah. Well, uh, hurt over, um, you know, Mo has been an absent father, and they talk about it in the scene. Yeah. Was was it uh, was it Irene's mom uh, that he didn't even come home for the funeral? To her funeral. For, yeah. yeah, and there is kind of a um, Sam says something that that uh, that's a little bit not nice, and like he kind of almost implies that are you really worried about his mental health, or are you angry over him being an absentee father? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, well, you know, I think that there is a little bit of validity to that. I, you know, I, 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 again, I think that Irene is angry at her father, um, but I, I do think she cares about him. And for her, it's probably a lot easier to say, I'm going to have him committed uh, as opposed to, you know, trying anything else. Mm-hmm. Because I don't, you know, he didn't have the time for me. Why should I have the time for him? But he needs to be taken care of. I can't let him you know, burn himself up in his house For sure. or die in a car accident of his own fall. You know, maybe that's just her trying to assuage her guilt. I don't know. But there is, there is clearly, uh, you know, the, one of the more central conflicts of this episode has to do with, you know, the tension between Irene and Mo. Mm-hmm. That is a very valid point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, and we're not doing it justice clearly with all of our tangents, but uh, one of the other things that I want to give this episode is it moves very fast. Mm-hmm. The pacing on this episode is very, very good. I, you could say the same thing for eight and a half months, I feel like. Sure, yeah. Um, Stuff just really kind of happens and moves along at, at a good clip. And it's like by the time this episode was halfway over, I was almost surprised that it was already halfway over. Yeah. I mean, it's like both episodes take place just within a span of a couple of days. Um, very good point. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so yeah, he have, he's having this talk with Irene and then he moves on. He has to do uh, uh, basically a, a live commercial a live segment, uh, being, yep. <laughs> be, being Mr. Scrubbo. Oh God, it's hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I'm not sure there's not really much to, to, to talk about the scene. It doesn't really move the plot along much. Uh, it is amusing. No, wa- it's just, it is amusing watching Al being embarrassed for Sam in the sequence. He has a crack. Yeah. He's like, got that line about if the guys at MIT could see you now. Yes. Yeah. And then afterwards, like, I think this is how De Niro got, got his start. Yeah. Maybe soupy sales. Maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah. It is kind of a nothing more, but it is another one of those nice windows into like golden age of television. Cause again, that was something that happened. You know, actors, especially for a local show like that, you know, actors would be recycled from show to show to, you know, to add to add and that the commercials were shot live and, and aired, you know, live generally along with the shows themselves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then, yeah, from there, uh, I, I, I think it's the, I can't remember, I'm getting the scenes out of order of whether or not they decide to have dinner at, at, at Moe's house that night to meet with the the, uh, the mental health facilitator, the guy who's going to decide whether or not, whether he thinks Mo should be put into an institution. But we do have, whatever order it comes in, uh, probably one of the more memorable scenes of this episode is at the mall or, or, yeah. Yes, the, the skating the, ring. The skating yeah. ring, yeah, not, yeah, not the mall, but yeah, but this the because the mall wasn't really like yeah, it didn't come along until later, uh, right? Yeah, but the whole skating ring and uh, yeah, and the exchange with uh, with the little boy. 
Yeah, it's it's a really nice scene, and 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 again, like you know, the the, the elements of this episode, the you know, the verisimilitude about this golden age of television and what these guys had to do, and going out to like you know this this skating rink for you know the the the, the public appearances and such that you, know, you don't get in the same way that you used to. Uh, but yeah, they're taking questions from the audience, and the little boy. Uh, asks Mo if he can go back in time so that the little boy will you know remember to close the gate so that his dog doesn't run away and, and get run over. Um, and Sam ends up handling it you know really well uh, and 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 you know goes up to the mic because Mo can't answer the question. And Sam is like you know uh, well we you know we've in all of our travels we happen to visit Doggy Heaven and what's your dog's name Tiger Tiger oh yes we saw a Tiger didn't we. And, you know, and then tells the boy that Tiger's okay and that he misses him and he loves him, but he's not in any pain. Um, and, and, then, and then after having this wonderful, sensitive moment, and then he's like, and I've just been told that all the popcorn and soda are going to be free yeah, for the next yes, hour. Yes, so yeah, go get it. And the manager of the skating rink, whose mustache is legendary. It is. It's, yeah. uh, has this great look on his face where it's just sort of like, well, I have to do it, but I don't know if I'm happy about it. Like, it's like he can't like be like, oh, no, no, we're not doing that. And yet it's also not that overblown, like, shock, like, oh, no. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a cute little moment. moment. I should say we should go back. Like, even before uh, before this scene, we go to Mo's house, I, I think. Yes, yeah. I was actually, yeah I, was, yeah, I wanted to say that, too, because, yeah, yeah this, is, this is a great scene. This is definitely one of those scenes that not only, uh, you know, has some very had-to-be-conscious nods to Back to the Future, but also a couple of wonderful sort of self-referential kind of things that have to do with the, you know, the integrity of Quantum Leap itself, if you will. Absolutely, yeah. So you, you, you touched on it before. Uh, the interior of Mo's house, like the, like the living room, um, yeah, the, just the, the style of it, it, it does seem very, uh, very reminiscent of the house, uh, of Doc Brown's house in Back to the Future. Uh, I, yeah. I love the line, like, I was in the basement. It's under the house. Those, yeah. yeah, those, yeah, those great lines that Mo has. And then they go down and they, and they look at the time machine. Um, and there's a very, uh, I don't know if you've seen like the old, like 1957 movie, the time machine. Um, yes, I was, oh, it's so funny that you mentioned that because I was totally going to bring that up too, because the time machine that Mo is building looks strikingly similar yeah. to the time machine in that movie. And my question is like, I, Jess and I just watched that movie a couple weeks okay. ago. Oh yeah. The, the old yeah. version. Yeah. Yeah, it's on. It's on Filmstruck, which is a wonderful streaming service that that, that I have. And uh, yeah, we watched uh, we watched it not too long ago. Oh, it's fantastic! Yeah, and I remember like when I was a kid, like just like fascinated with the idea of like being able to build a time machine just out of, like out of everyday stuff. Right. You know, I mean, like yeah, the DeLorean was something, and the flux capacitor, and Mister Fusion, whatever it was, blah blah blah. But just like the the steampunkness of. Yes. Of of the, like the the found items that he has built this time machine out of, right? Oh, yeah, it's it, it, it's incredibly it's incredibly endearing, is what it is. I I just I love it, and I think that you know same way. Growing up, um, you know, for me, it, it's like a cardboard box, a marker, you know, some string. Like that was all I needed, and and I had a time machine, or I had like a mini helicopter, or you know, a supercar. Or, you know, whatever. Usually, it was a time machine, but still. Um, yeah, but the, yeah. the thing is, like, the difference between between us playing pretend and and Mo is he actually thinks that he has built a time machine. Yes, and or make cappuccinos, as as Al makes the crack. Right, as Al points out, it's funny because in the original script, apparently he said uh, popcorn maker, but they changed that to cappuccino. Machine, yeah. Um. 
Yeah. It, well, and we get the string theory bit, too, which is not really what string theory is, but it's what quantum leap string theory is. Uh, uh, from Mo, um, it's very basic, talking about how picture your life as a string, you know, this is your birth, this is your death, tie the two strings together. You know, if you go fast enough, you can propel yourself back to the moment of your birth. And that's when, of course, Sam says, well, what if you ball that string up? And then the days of your lives begins to touch one another, you know, and, and elucidates that for him. And of course, Mo gets very excited. And this is when Sam starts to potentially see more in him. And yet there's a great internal conflict within Sam because you get the sense that Sam is not 100% sold, that he's not crazy, for lack of a better word. But he also seems to believe in Mo in a weird way and maybe see a little bit of himself within Mo. And I think that this is this moment in particular with the string is really what does that for him. Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah. And of course we, we do actually get the, the mention of quantum leap in this thing, not even yeah. talking about project quantum leap, but you could quantum leap, like take one drink. <laughs> right. I know. Oh God. It, it's, it's yeah. And there's the bit too, where they talk about, um, Traveling from um, uh, Fridays to Wednesdays, mm-hmm. or something like that. Like we, there, there are there are definitely some, oh. some nods to the, to the show itself, as opposed to the nods to everything else that there are nods to. I I had missed that. Yeah, um, this theory reading. If I'm not mistaken, it's literally even a time reference. Like they're like, we've gone from Friday at 8 p.m. to Wednesday at 10 p.m. And it's like, oh my god, that's literally what the show did. just did. Yeah. Oh, that is something I totally missed. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this, like, so what we've introduced in this scene, and we're going to get to it at the end of the episode when Mo gives Sam the idea for string theory, when, when little Sam Beckett writes in, this is the bootstrap theory. Yeah. Time travel theory of like, well, where, where did the idea originally come from? Right. Did Mo give Sam the yeah, idea? Because... Sam give Mo the idea? Yeah. It does make you wonder though, because in, um, what episode is it? Uh, Her Charm, when uh, uh, Sam talks about him and, and, and Professor Lenegro, mm-hmm. you know, developing the string theory in the cabin themselves. It does make you wonder all of a sudden. It's like, well, if Sam got the idea from watching Time Patrol um, and then carried this with him until he got to college and then he and Professor Lenegro developed it further. And then, of course, you know. Sam ends up traveling back in time. And the other thing is, too, is he, he explains it to Donna in Starcrossed. So it's, it's to, to, to follow, if you will, to follow the evolution of Sam's, you know, string theory through, you know, the, the history of the show, we really kind of have almost come full circle when you think about it. Because we get the bit in Genesis where Al explains it to Sam. Mm-hmm. Then we get the bit in Starcrossed where Sam explains it to Donna. Then we get her charm where Sam tries to tell Professor Lenegro that it worked. Mm-hmm. And then we get this episode in which, you know, Sam and Mo kind of develop it together, even though technically this is older Sam who already knows all of this. And then Mo ends up telling little Sam Beckett who's watching at home in Elkridge, Indiana from Time Patrol mm-hmm. it, this idea. It's it there you go. Yeah. There's your it's full circle there. We should say bootstrap paradox all in one. Yeah, as far as other things that Time Patrol may have influenced Sam, we kinda of glossed over in the first scene of the episode. Uh Mo's I'm gonna call it a tricorder. Why not? because uh, that's basically <laughs> what it was when they land on the alien planet. I mean it's obviously it's a very rudimentary 
Kitty Clyde version. Gyrograph? Gyrograph, that's it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the hand link. It is, clearly. Yeah. Uh, Painted gray with a little twirly thing thing attached to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that was such a yeah a great little reference there. I did notice. Speaking yeah, of uh, looking at the hand link in this episode, at one angle and one scene, you can actually see what looks like a display screen on the hand. You get to see the front of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, yeah, the front. Is but you can actually see the, yeah. there. There actually looks like what's a, a display screen. There's going to be a later episode come up. We get an extreme close up of the hand link, and there's nothing. I mean, it's just, it's just blocks. Like there's nothing, anything on there that even looks like it could be a display screen. Right. Uh, but yeah, it looks like anyway. It looks like there's yeah there is like a small like digital readout screen. There you go. But anyway, um, so yeah, we have the scene we're introduced to the time machine, and then we go to the scene that we previously talked about of them uh, at the skating ring, not the mall. Now I have let <laughs> now I have let's go to the mall today from How I Met Your Mother <laughs> stuck in my head. Um, oh, man, if that show would have worked in a few Quantum Leap references, I'll tell you what. It, like, it had to at least once, didn't it? Right? You'd think. You'd think. It had to do it at least once. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, uh, and then we get what you're talking about where they meet with the doctor, or they're, they're, they want to schedule a meeting with the doctor, and, you know, they decide to have dinner. Uh, Mo throws that, yeah, which was yeah. like Mo's idea, which Sam was against, but, yeah, it ends up. Um, that ends up happening, and then we get the the dinner scene with the with the upside down chicken. Indeed, yeah, I, yes. yeah. The the upside down chicken, and um, I, I love this little moment where they cut to like them eating dinner just a few moments later, and Mo is doing this this very eccentric way of drinking his milk. Yes, with both with hands. both hands, and so it pans over to Sam, and Sam is doing it the exact same way, wiping his mouth in the exact same way. It's like he's not crazy. Look, I'm doing it too. Yeah, yeah. Oh God. Oh, it's great. Yeah, it's it's you know again. I mean, Sam clearly cares a great deal for Mo, and 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 there is that element, and I feel like. As we've talked about it, and as you've mentioned it a couple of times, it, it's become stronger for me than, than on my watch through of it earlier today. You're right. There is certainly a very real element of Sam seeing some of himself in Mo and in trying to justify Mo's behavior, perhaps trying to justify his own. Because at this point in the show's history, and it's very, 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 you know, um, subtextual. there has got to be a part of Sam that is saying, why have I done what I've done? And is, you know, he, he, he's been gone for a long time at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, like he says in runaways, a non person. And so I think maybe trying to, again, you know, justify Mo's behavior in a way he's trying to justify his own behavior. Mm, That's interesting. Well, I got it from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, yeah, but also, like, at, at this point, though, like, valid points, but also, like, having seen the time machine, having it been revealed that he literally thinks he is going to travel in time and make everything better. He's going to make everything better for his family, and he's going to make everything better for uh, for Tiger. Um, yeah. <sighs> You do wonder if, like, yeah, maybe Sam should consider the possibility that, yeah, maybe the best thing for him is, um, I don't know, now saying it out loud, like, like talking about, like, there is no assisted living facility. It's a mental institution. Right. You know, 
Um, so yeah, Sam's in a hard spot. That's what we're saying. For sure. For sure. Um, and it gets worse because obviously, you know, the doctor, this doctor's pretty crafty, um, but he's very nice. Again, he's not, you know, he's not like any kind of villainous character, Mm -hmm. um, but he's pretty crafty because he tries to get in good with Mo, uh, is, you know, is, is is very accommodating to Mo's thoughts and opinions. And eventually Mo takes him downstairs to show him the time machine. Mm -hmm. Irene comes down too with Sam. Sam is obviously freaking out here. Mo starts flicking switches, trying to get things started up. The damn thing, you know, nearly explodes. Um, you know, obviously Mo is very concerned about this, and they end up uh, uh, immediately after deciding, you know, that yes, that we we've got to we've got to do something about him, and that's when there's going to be this this hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out Sam's going to represent Mo yeah. at the hearing. You'll act um, like a lawyer. Yeah, act like a lawyer. Um, this is where we get the 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 triangle hat. Yes, the pyramid, the pyramid hat. Uh, what does he say it does again? It's something like it makes your thoughts clearer or something. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is where we get uh, you know a, a not only a wonderful little monologue from Sam, but uh, what I like to call the Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street moment, sure. where uh, the you know the assistant who we've seen earlier in the episode comes in with bags of mail, and Sam starts dumping them out on the judge's desk, and and uses that as a way to justify Moe's behavior and saying like if all these other people believe in him too you know if if, if everyone thinks he's santa claus he must be santa claus you yeah know, sort of thing uh only in this case if everyone thinks he's captain galaxy he can travel through time then he must be able to do so mm-hmm. i do love a couple bits of dialogue that i jotted down this scene because uh, sam keeps interrupting and trying to talk to the judge well, yeah, we'll yeah the judge uh and the judge interrupts and goes as future boy i'm sure you've already seen in your crystal ball i'm gonna give you a chance to speak blah 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 and then it kind of like crystal ball and they think i'm crazy yeah well and it's funny too because there's this moment where sam is talking about uh he's like he brings up christopher columbus he brings up uh uh i can't remember now the other one but then he starts to bring up neil armstrong but instead he says neil diamond yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh and um apparently there's no mention of that in the um you know in the script so they think it might be something that he uh he ad-libbed yeah we have a special guest. Oh, we have a special guest. Harrison is up from his nap, and now he's wondering what Daddy's doing. So he's wandered into the room here. So yeah. I love it. We had Hattie May on, and now we've got Harrison. Yeah. Here. So yeah, That's no, great. no, no. We're just saying hi real quick. Hello. Say hi to Sam. Hello. 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 Hi. I'm gonna get him out of here because he's gonna go want to go nuts and want to start like hitting every computer button on my laptop. No here. problem. Well, I love you, little guy. I'll be out there in a little bit. <laughs> All right. We're professionals here at Project Quantum Leap. Yes, we are. It's a family show. It is a family show. In spite of all the F-bombs. Yeah. Um. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so this, uh, yeah, so the judge decides that, yeah, he, he needs to be put into, uh, needs to go into a, 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 a mental institution. And yeah. this is this is like the one moment in the episode that every time I watch it, this is the one problem I have in this episode. This is where I cringe with this episode and I'm like, what the hell were they thinking? I think you're, I think you're going to talk about what I would say the same thing. About. And it's when Mo jumps out the window. Dear God! Watching the episode this morning, Betsy was like, "If you're trying to convince people you're not crazy, how about you just walk out the door instead of jumping out the window?" Furthermore, he jumps out this window and then just gets up and runs off. And just like runs nothing. off. Yeah. I mean, first off, the believability—like no cut, no scratches. 
right. nothing and just yeah runs off back it's up. It, it it is there there are two points of this episode that i that i have issues with and this is definitely one of them um i i i'm not a big fan of the 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 scene at all um i i think it's one of those it's one of those things that you know maybe tommy thompson wrote in his script um but i have a feeling that it might be more of a director or producer thing saying like oh no no we need something more dramatic here make him jump out the window yeah you know i just can't imagine that the 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 sensitive script that has come before will come after that this is an element of that but yeah and and here's the thing I, i like i've never understood it's like in the original history he died jumping a train yeah it seems very clear from the beginning he has decided to get in this time machine and go back. So I don't understand why it's a train and why it's not he's going to die in some in-home accident. I mean, they could have said he, he's, he's going to be electrocuted at home right. in some accident. And, you know, you, you could fudge it and say, you know, because of, like, family being embarrassed, like, they didn't put in the newspapers that he had built what he thought was a time machine in his basement and that's what killed him. Yeah, I don't know because like it, I don't understand like where anywhere in the original history Mo decides to jump on a train. Yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't make any sense to me. I guess I guess that makes three things yeah. about this episode. So, but, so but, I wonder if, the, if that's a remnant from an old script that never really got worked out. I don't know. Right. It is worth noting. It, Matt does note in his book that in the original, the original ending to the first script, Mo dies of a heart attack at the end of the episode. He does, and let's let's save that real quick because I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Because what we're going to get next is um, the you know the judge basically says that he'll call the police, yeah. uh, and and Sam pleads with Irene to say, "Is that what you really want?" You know, let's. You know, she's like, "My car's out front." They drive over. They get there uh, to to Mo's house. Mo is in the basement in the time machine. Um, they come down. He you know he's he's flicking switches, turning everything on. And, you know, they, they, they want to stop him. And this is the third moment because I'm on the fence about it, but I have a feeling I know which way I'm going to lie. As the time machine is revving, the leap out effect starts on Mo. Uh-huh. And then it fails. The machine fails. Done and over with. We get an incredibly well done scene that brings us full circle to the notice for him playing Macbeth where he talks about how uh, you know, that she was just about to be born and that this notice came out and he was going to give up the acting profession completely, but he got this notice and the offer started coming in, national tours, television, you know, et cetera. So he decided to go, you know, do that. Um, and that's why he was always away, but that he used to always buy calla lilies. Yep. Eh, yeah. Calla lilies, mm-hmm. Deborah Pratt's favorite flower, um, as well as Beth's, and give those to his wife. He would always give them to her. And he and he had them in his hands in the time machine because yep. that's what he wanted to do was leap back and give her the calla lilies. There's this nice moment where he asks if he can give them to Irene. Irene, you know, of course she wants them. A very heartwarming moment between the two of them. Uh, everything's going to turn out okay. You know, they're going to patch up the relationship. Moe's going to be all right. Uh, then we get a scene where Mo says goodbye, basically, to the kids as Captain Galaxy. He's, he's retiring. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's it. Um, but he does it in a very nice way about how he's going to go off on a big adventure yeah. and he can't tell anyone about it. And he's like, but I have time for one last letter. And this is when we get what you mentioned earlier. The letter turns out it's from little Sam Beckett in Elkridge, Indiana, asking about time travel. Mo gives him the string theory. 
Sam leaps out. In the original script, as you just mentioned, Mo dies of a heart attack. And as he's dying, he's able to see Sam as Sam, thus validating that time travel really works. Don Belisario apparently didn't like this, felt it was kind of a bummer of an ending, apparently, and told Tommy Thompson to change it and instead also add that the time machine actually works as opposed to it just being a figment of his imagination. I don't know if I agree with Don on this one. I think, I think, I think he was wrong. I, I don't know that I feel okay with the fact that this guy in his basement is able to somehow replicate the leap out. Like what? Uh, that I don't know. It, it does bug me a. L- on one hand, it does bug me from a from a more realist standpoint. In a TV show about a guy who time travels, you know, with his wife sure. cracking hologram. Uh, on the other hand, like I said before, like I've always been fascinated with that. I, I, I love the stories where where people are able to build a, a, a time machine, like in their basement or their garage, or you know, just out of found things. Like I've always been fascinated by that. So it doesn't fully bug me i guess what bugs me more is that people are in the room and they're present and presumably i don't know did 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 they see the leap effect around him well i'm guessing they didn't and the reason why i'm going to take that guess is because it doesn't seem like anyone ever noticed like no one ever notices when sam leaps in or out so i think that the leap out effect is not anything that we that we see. see in this plane yeah Right. Now, I will I will say this. If we are not literally meant to believe that Mo has built a working time machine and that instead it could be a manifestation, which obviously it wasn't because this has probably not been decided on yet, a manifestation maybe of Sam believing so deeply in uh Mo that as you know as we know spoiler alert from mirror image that sam is the one that's been doing this the whole time controlling his own destiny mm-hmm. if in that moment you know his belief almost like you know, transfers meeting okay. this even fairies ah. you know it's like his belief in mo it, it, you know sam almost wills him to leap out um, but for whatever reason it's not able to actually happen uh, I mean that's that's kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. I I I don't necessarily like Mo dying of a heart attack, but I really do love the idea that he was able to see Sam as Sam and then realize that time travel was real. That would have been a really beautiful moment for him, because as it is, it it feels like he, I just don't know where we're supposed to, I don't know where we're supposed to go with our feelings about Mo. Are we supposed to believe that this guy is just an eccentric genius who, even though he spent the last 40 years working as an actor, also has the ability to create a time machine in his basement? You know, is, is, is it supposed to be a whimsical fantasy moment? Like you're kind of talking about the idea that he could build a time machine in his basement. Like I, I get exactly where you're coming from and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. Or is he supposed to be someone that was dealing and struggling with some form of mental illness and does this thing, and then all of a sudden, because it doesn't work, he's okay again, and he can go and retire from his TV show and spend more time with his daughter? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it kind of muddies the water. <laughs> now, I will add to this, mm-hmm. in closing, in summation of my thoughts and ideas, that in spite of all of that, in spite of everything that I just said, and in spite of my three big knocks on the episode... 
this is a damn great episode. It's 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 really well done. There's some wonderful stuff in it. Uh, all of the little nods to other you know time travel sh- you know like the Back to the Future stuff, the self the self referencing bits, you know all that sort of stuff is is really well done. Uh, Scott Bakula is great in this episode. Uh, Richard Hurd is fantastic. Al has some great stuff that is a little bit more typical Al as opposed to eight and a half months. Oh, one thing that we glossed over is the moment when Al shows back up in his uh, in his normal clothing as opposed to that dark suit is that he and his ex-wife got together and went over their briefs. Examined each other's briefs. And decided, yeah, and decided to, uh, you know, to not have him to pay any more alimony. So we get a, a nice little... Oh, wow. Al being Al moment. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, it, 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 it's... As far as Quantum Leap goes, it does end up... I walk away from it feeling like this is kind of a special episode. Yeah. It's... it's, it's I would easily... I don't know... If, Top ten, top twenty. It's easily in the sure. top twenty. Yeah, uh, I would say. I, would say so. I mean, if I if I were to say like standalone episodes that don't really touch on the mythology of the show, and this one kind of does a little bit, but like sure. excluding ones like M.I.A. Lee Palm, blah blah blah. Like excluding those, I would easily put this one in the top ten. Like I would use like someone who had never seen the show before, and I just want to show them a regular episode of the show. Yeah, this is one I would I would very easily choose to to let them see. If I was programming a marathon of Quantum Leap episodes, this would this would probably make the cut. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like, like how about, I mean, you could definitely, like, touch, yeah, it, it probably doesn't handle, you know, mental illness and, and all of that in a very sensitive way. But I would probably, a, a lot of modern day television, even in 2018, still doesn't handle mental illness right. in a very, in a very sensitive way. So I can't really knock a, a show written in an episode of TV written in 1991. I can't really knock it for that. Right, right. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, but then Sam leaps out. Oh, dear God. And this makes me even happier that, that Mo doesn't die because it would have turned into one of the most inappropriate leap outs ever. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> because what's the leap out, Dennis? <laughs> he He is Rod the Bod... In a Zorro outfit, uh, I will say uh, Betsy was very intrigued by this. <laughs> uh, by For sure. by this leap out, uh, dancing to dancing to Ladies' Night, and he is some man meat. Yep, indeed. So what's uh, I, I I didn't take the, op- the the chance to look this up beforehand, and maybe I'll look it up and we'll we'll add it on as an extra like tidbit of notes surrounding the show on social media. I'm wondering. I mean, this episode was obviously filmed right after Runaway because they had to, yes. they had to write in the the dislocated ankle into the episode from, from Runaway. They had to uh, write it into this episode. I'm wondering where the filming of eight and a half months took place in well, I, in around this, or I'm wondering I'm wondering if if this episode was was supposed to take place after or like what the episode order what was supposed to be and if eight and a half months they aired it as their first episode back because yeah sam leaps into a pregnant woman big damn deal if we're i think that's exactly it yeah. i think that is exactly the case i have a feeling that um i'm taking a quick look at the production numbers yeah eight and a half months was definitely filmed after this episode um and i think that the reason why they ended up airing eight and a half months um, in fact, according to the production schedule here, it looks like, yeah, it looks like it was actually Private Dancer, then Future Boy, then Piano Man, then 
uh, eight and a half months. Wow. So, yeah, so there were a few episodes filmed before. Um, I think that you're absolutely right. I think eight and a half months is one of those episodes that much like the, you know, the baby episode used to get talked about um, towards, you know, the end of the series about how that would have been an episode that might have, you know, drawn a lot of eyes and gotten viewers. I think eight and a half months was like, yeah, I mean, he leaps into a pregnant woman. This is this is that type of hook that, you know, a casual viewer would be like, what the hell is that? Yeah. I'll check it well, out. Because, so, like, watching the episode, we didn't talk about it last week with eight and a half months, is that there's only a couple of actual pieces of period music that they use in the show. Uh, yeah. The rest was just, like, this incidental country music. Yeah. Which I couldn't tell... I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be just, like, the score of the episode or if this was music that characters were actually listening to. I kind of got the impression more like it was music that the characters were actually listening to, like in the car mm. or something. And I wondered if that... It could have been just a cost-saving measure because they did have to pay for rights for all of those songs anyway. Right. Or if it was one of those things like, oh, this is the first episode back and now we're back on the air. They didn't have time to like grab any more music than what they did and they just grab some of this like incidental stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it could very well be actually. That's that's it's a good, I don't know. good talk. I mean, yeah, because I mean we, we talk so much about how a lot of times like the 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 incidental music that they replace the original music with in the D V D releases and how much that jumps out. Eight and a half months, all of the incidental music that it didn't exactly sound like a score to the episode. It sounded like it was supposed to be period music, but it obviously wasn't right. period music that did kind of jump out at me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially the uh, the post credit music, like the the credit music. Sure. Is really a, a, an offender. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, we've talked about production schedules before and episodes kind of airing out of order and that sort of stuff. But I, I feel like if I'm if I'm looking at Quantum Leap as coming back from this hiatus. I think it was very smart for them to do eight and a half months. I also think it was very smart of them to do Future Boy. Because if you think, excuse me, if you think of them having aired, you know, Private Dancer as the next episode after the hiatus, and then Future Boy, and then Piano Man, and then eight and a half months, that to me, and maybe the intent, because we've mentioned this before too, just because an episode was produced in a certain order, that was never the intended air order. Like, this could have always been the intended air order, in spite of the production numbers being off. I don't know that that was the case, but I will say that, obviously, things going the way they did, I do think it was smart to come back with eight and a half months, and then Future Boy, and then go into, like, Private Dancer, Piano Man, Southern Country. And that's, yeah, all of these, like, yeah, the the, the next block of, of episodes, like, Private Dancer, Piano Man, A Hunting We Will Go, they all, yeah, they, they do kind of fit in, like, a, a similar space. Um, yeah. They, they... They are somewhat comedic in their setup, but they do actually deal with 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 serious issues in their in their own way, uh, especially private dancer. Yes, yeah. Which uh, I'm looking. I haven't watched that episode in years. I'm looking forward to not either. End end of that one. I the only the only couple of episodes out of the the, the run that we've got coming up that I can remember wa- having watched, you know, recently or somewhat recently would be Piano Man. Um, and Glitter Rock, I feel like out of, yeah, out of season three, those are probably the ones that I have seen the most, well, I, no, 
Yeah, I think that those are definitely the ones. I don't feel like anything... Well, Nuclear Family, but that's further down the road. And then obviously Shock Theater. Those two I've seen quite a few times and more recently. But yeah, out of out of the, the, the big chunk of episodes we have coming up, Piano Man and Glitter Rock are the only ones that I think I've seen in the past, like, 15 years. Yeah. You know, the rest of them, it's been longer than 15 years since I've seen yeah. them. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to... Uh to go explore, to go I explore agree. those. Uh, I've been, uh, we've been chatting back and forth with, uh, Diana Green through the Facebook yes. page. Uh, yeah, we were talking about like, like Piano Man like takes place in the mid eighties. We have a lot of episodes coming up that take place a lot closer to, yeah. uh, to, to present day. We were kind of pondering, like I had really thought about it. Cause like, um, the last two seasons of the show, especially the last season of the show, uh, in order to keep the show on the air, like they went through some significant budget cuts. And so we're talking about, I hadn't really thought about Diana brought up the, the idea that, uh, it, it was a cost saving measure putting closed, totally. putting, putting episodes closer to the present day. Um, yeah, just put it just a few years back in the eighties and we don't have to worry too much about cars, cars or anything. Don't have to, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see some of these episodes. For sure, for sure, and I and I think that um, it'll be it'll be interesting to delve into maybe some of the behind the scenes stuff at this point in the show's history. Just knowing that we're going to get into a production block of episodes very soon, that these are going to be episodes that they were filming after they they got saved, if you will, and just kind of thinking about you know what the mentality must have been. Um, you know, for the cast and the crew, sure. uh, knowing that that they that they were very close to have to being done, that they came back, yeah. You know, and it's also important to note, and this is something that does not happen quite as often these days. Uh, but if if they would have been canceled when they were canceled, most likely the episodes in the can would never have aired. No, or if they did, they might have aired like in the summer. Yep, exactly. Yep. You know, on like a Saturday evening or something like that, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's interesting, you know, that that, that uh, it came so close to being canceled at this point. And um, thank goodness it, it wasn't. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's our episode this week. That's right. You'll have to join us next week for Private Dancer. Uh, it's going to be a fun discussion, I'm sure. Maybe we should... Uh, you know, try and get a guest on. See if we can't figure and you know find someone that has worked in that line, and, and if they want to come on and uh, tell their story. <laughs> I mean, I uh, I have a friend, a, a woman who worked as a as an exotic dancer, but I don't know any men. <laughs> hey, if you're listening and you have, if you are a man and you have worked as an exotic dancer, and you're listening to this episode. Uh, give us a shout out, and uh, we're recording in real time right now. So, uh, that's right. So we will probably won't record this episode, uh, Private Dancer, until after Private Dancer airs. So if you're listening to this in the first couple of days, it's out. That's right. Give us a shout out. Why not? Yeah, we need new guests. We, we need some new blood in we here. We do. We need to work something here. Chris Stewart, if you're listening to this, don't go out and become. Don't go <laughs> out and become an exotic dancer. Just so you could say, just so you can guess on this episode. 
Uh, we gotta g- no, but by all means, yeah. you know, come come on anyway. Uh, yeah, seriously, we we've been very excited for a lot of conversations that have been happening, like on Facebook and uh, and even a couple of interactions on Twitter lately. Uh, keep it up; we really appreciate it. And um, seriously, if there is, you know, we can't make any guarantees or promises, obviously, but if there is an episode that you just love and you would love to have the chance to to come on and talk about, uh, hit us up, and you know, we'll 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 see if we can't work it out. Um, because one of the, the missions that we set out with from the very beginning of this was to not only have guests on that had not seen the show before, but to also interact with any of the listeners and, and have them be able to come on and talk a little bit about the show as well. Uh, and that, and that invitation is, is still obviously open. Um, so we'll, yeah, we'll see what we can do. Hopefully we'll, uh, you know, get some, get some people on and have some fun. It'll be fun. All right. Yeah. Well, until then. Sleep out of here. Yeah, leap out of here. See you next week, y'all. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fates Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time. See